Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels. Our guest this episode, we have Heath Headley, a fisheries biologist over in Montana, specifically on Fort Peck Reservoir. We've had him on before. Heath is a wealth of information. Love getting the opportunities to talk to him. Uh, this particular episode, we get kind of a status update of Fort Peck, like what's going on out there right now. He's got some fun numbers related to the salmon. They do some egg collection in the fall. It's kind of a fun uh you know, fun update there. Uh, that salmon fishing on Fort Peck in the summertime is definitely gaining a ton of popularity, and uh, you know, just a really, really cool fishing opportunity. Completely provided by the Game and Fish. I mean, the Chinook salmon in Fort Peck certainly weren't there before, uh, and so what an awesome opportunity, fishing opportunity for inland salmon. Um, and, uh, you know, provided by the State Department there. So it's kind of fun to get a little status update there, uh, a very good one. And then, you know, just more updates on how everything else is doing. I mean, the Cisco are doing well, the main forage base there that's really driving that big fish fishery and just talking about the walleyes and just how good everything is, which isn't hard to understand. If you look at the tournament weights, like the walleye tournament weights last year in the Gov Cup and you know some of the other tournaments on, on Fort Peck Reservoir, like just the, just the unbelievable world-class fish that are coming out of there uh, that are there right now. But, um, you know, but what does the future look like? What what does the conditions this year? That's one big thing we talk about in this interview is, uh, you know, Heath really um, does a great job kind of sort of help... Uh, wrap our heads around you know the current conditions and what the, it might mean for the spring runoff and and just what some of the you know what 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 are some of the pros and cons of the current conditions and, and what might be going on this year and what that might mean for the future and honestly you know uh, i don't want to spoil this interview for you it's very fun very educational as always all these science based all these kind of fisheries biologists that come on i love the learning and just the you know just the fun things that we can can learn and take away as anglers um, that don't necessarily have that background but all that information if there's anything you can take away from it you know the fishing is great on fort peck right now for a lot of things conditions are favorable for the fish and for the forage but the future is absolutely bright out there and so what a what a great interview here and uh heath breaks it all down very well and it's just really, really fun. So let's do it. Fort Peck with Heath Headley. Let's do it. This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by the CS1 suit from Cold Snap. This jacket and bib combination is good for all seasons. The jacket featuring the full event lamination, 100% waterproof shell with waterproof YKK zippers, fleece-lined hand-warm pockets on the chest, magnetic closures on the pockets, hideaway D-rings for accessories, especially like your cold snap toothpick. Zip out the inner liner featuring Primaloft 900 gold insulation, Hydrofloat technology. Wear this cold snap logoed performance liner as a separate jacket on the ice, or you can just wear it around town as nice as it is. The bibs matching the jacket system. We're talking the lamination, the waterproof, the zippers, fleece lined, warming pockets on the chest, magnetic closures on all the high use pockets, and the hideaway D-rings for all your accessories again. Zip out the inner liner pants featuring the Primaloft 900 gold insulation, Hydroflow technology, removable knee pads. You can take them out, replace them whenever they're worn, or just take them out when you're wearing it in the summer. Because in the summer, in the boat, you can wear this shell 
as your highest performance rain gear, where the entire system in the ice season or as layers and mix and match the components to fit whatever the weather conditions are. The gloves, cold snap performance, gear hoodies, event soft shell jackets and vests, all of that and more details can be found at coldsnapoutdoors.com. That link is in the description of this podcast or through other pro staff partners. If you have any fishing memory or a fish that you would like to commemorate with a replica or you have questions about getting fish replicas done, reach out to Jamie Rizavi from Rizavi Taxidermy Studio in New Rockford, North Dakota. Jamie and his crew do next level work here at the JMO headquarters. We are blessed to have so many replicas made by Jamie. Reach out. You can find them on social media or online at RizaviTaxidermyStudio.com. The link is in the description of this podcast. We haven't, you and I didn't touch on salmon hardly at all last time. So, like any love we give to the salmon, the current status of of salmon on Fort Peck is good, and uh, we'll just go on down the line. Yeah, no, that that sounds good. Um, yeah, so uh, you know, kind of rewinding the clock a little bit and going back to fall, um, first part of October. That's when we have our fall adult uh, collection efforts. You know, and we do that with an electrofishing boat, just kind of helps us to be more, you know, efficient, cover water. Because um, the interesting thing about about these salmon, and, and maybe you know, and maybe some of the listeners do or don't know, but, you know, even though we we release those fish, you know, like at right at the boat ramps, you know, typically they will return there, but they do have a tendency to stray, you know, which means, you know, they can show up, you know, a bay right adjacent to the, you know, boat ramp area, like at the marina or, or Duck Creek or whatever. And so, you know, we don't have any strong, you know, signatures, like any creeks coming in, you know, that they can really imprint in and, and, and fine tune and hone their way back home, so to speak, you know, but uh, yeah, it, uh, you know, we, we covered basically areas near the dam area. So like Marina Duck Creek dam and, and over by Flat Lake with our electrofishing uh, boat and uh, we did we did really well last year when it was all said and done um, basically collected eggs from the first part of October to the end of October and we ended up with uh, around 809,000 Chinook eggs which is actually the third most that we've collected uh, since the salmon program began back in the oh early to, to mid 80s um, so that was that was really good and, and temperatures um, are a big player, you know, and kind of how those fish respond, you know, is as that water temperature cools down, those fish will move in and it seems to kind of peak like right around 55 degrees, you know, when we see that water temperature, that's when we see a majority of the numbers and then the females really ripen up or loosen their eggs at that time. And um, those conditions were, were present this past fall. Um, so that was, that was very good, very helpful for us in terms of collection efforts. It's also good for the egg quality too. You know, these Chinook salmon, they're, they're, they're a trout salmon species. And so therefore, you know, they do, you know, really like cold water and that's part of their biology, part of their makeup. And if they do have temperatures within their ideal range, it leads to really good egg quality. And, and we noticed that, um, after the fact that we collected those fish, you know, and how the fertilization rates went. And, and then, you know, after that, even the next step, the hatching, eye up success, because, 
you know, it was, it was, it was really well. Um, and I think as of now, so like from that 809,000 eggs that we collected, we're looking at potentially stocking out somewhere in the neighborhood of like 360,000 Chinook, um, come end of May, first part of June, potentially. Now, uh, remind me a little bit about your process. I mean, a lot of this stuff is pretty new to me, but I love how popular that salmon deal is over on Fort Peck. It's, it's definitely one of the best, you know, salmon fishing opportunities in the States for sure. Like, you know, inland, um, it, pretty unique that way. It gets a lot of, it gets a lot of love, man. You guys definitely, definitely get the P I mean, I've been over there and experienced it. Super fun deal, but the process you know, uh, you know, you talk about in the fall when you're gathering eggs, do you guys have like a set number? Like, 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 how do you, how do you judge that? Um, do you just go till you collect a certain amount of eggs and then you're done? Or do you try to sample all, you know, the spots equally just because you're gathering data that way? Like, like how, like, how do you decide, you know, where you're going to start and stop that? You know, basically we're going to do what the fish tell us, you know, we're going to go where they're at and, um, you know, it's really play it by ear, you know, it's, it'd be nice if we had, you know, like, okay, the salmon are going to show up, you know, at say the marina year in and year out. Well, that's not always the case. One year, it might be really good. You know, if they come there, um, the following year, maybe not so much, it might be duck Creek. So again, kind of going back to that electrofishing boat and us being able to be mobile, go where the fish are going to go. And for us, you know, you kind of mentioned, you know, where, you know, what, what are we looking for really, as far as like, I guess, eggs, you know, yeah. um, if we can, if we can get, you know, 800,000 eggs, we're going to feel pretty darn comfortable. Um, you know, basically given worst case scenario with, with eye up and hatching success, because, you know, honestly, in some years, you know, we've seen it down to like, you know, 30% Taylor and versus, you know, like this past year where it was, you know, you know, like closer to 50, um, you know, and again, it, again, uh, you know, temperatures play a huge role in, in what that egg quality will do or, or what it won't do, you know, and, and we work, you know, really close with North and South Dakota in terms of, you know, sharing information as far as what we're seeing with, you know, how our stocking efforts are going, what size they're going out, time of year. Um, but then also, you know, even from a manpower standpoint too, um, because we're really reliant on one another, you know, if somebody falls short one year, you know, and, and say, you know, which, you know, North Dakota has, has helped us out quite a few years and South Dakota as well, when we didn't collect as many salmon eggs as we would have hoped for, but they had some surplus so they could share some with us to hopefully meet those stocking requirements, you know, because this is a, you know, it's a, basically a put, grow, and take fishery. There's there's no natural reproduction. Right. Um, the fishery that exists out there is because of our efforts, you know. Um, same with, you know, North and South Dakota. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a big point made. You know, you guys, you know, all the state departments, everybody around here, I feel like there's a lot of, uh, you know, it's easy. This is something I say all the time. It's easy for you guys you know, working for the FWP or in North Dakota, you know, anywhere. I'm sure everybody in every state department across the country, like it's easy to gather haters. Like when there's a bad year of fishing, anybody can have a bad day of fishing and go online and bash the game and fish for some decision that they may or may not have made. But the reality is that some of our best fishing opportunities 
are as good as they are or just exist at all because of what you guys are doing and you're all passionate about it that, that that's one thing that i really really appreciate and like we talked to when we got to know you last time you were on i just appreciate you guys love what you do and uh, i just think that stuff's all cool about it i mean what are we'll give some love to salmon throughout this but it sounds good that it's just a good feeling to start off that you know this october things went decent for you you figured it out you got the eggs you're looking for what's the rest of the status update on Fort Peck? I'm always, I'm always eager to hear about how the Cisco's are doing. I I love, you know, kind of getting that, uh, that story on Fort Peck, um, just to know that the future is looking bright. I was over there ice fishing not too long ago, had a great trip catching a lot of lake trout. That was super fun. Hopefully, um, that was a reflection that, uh, things are going good in the lake trout world. Cause that's, uh, I always look forward to that. If I get that chance, uh, anything walleye related, anything cool that jumps out uh, status update, uh, besides the salmon. Yeah. Um, so, and I might bounce back and forth here a little bit. I apologize about that, but it's all this stuff is kind of like you've, you know, mentioned a little bit. It's, it's all pretty closely related, you know, in the grand scheme of things with forage for, you know, Chinooks. And then, you know, that, that, translates over in a walleye too you know and let's so getting into cisco essentially um you know our we do have a, a monitoring program set up for our cisco um as i probably mentioned you know in the, in the previous podcast that i did with you and we do that in september and, and so kind of a it's pretty interesting this past year a little bit different but i mean in a good way you know things things look really good for our cisco you know, population out there and, and forage base, you know, for, for all the game fish species. And so what we saw was, um, you know, good numbers, uh, you know, plenty of adult Cisco out there in the population. A majority of them are kind of averaging around that eight inches in size. Um, we do have a few bigger ones out there, but they're, you know, a little bit few and far between, you know, some 10, occasionally 11 incher, you know, that's kind of on the upper end of the spectrum. Um, and then we also look at, you know, how successful they might have been during, you know, the winter months. Because these Cisco, they'll come in, um, you know, shortly before the water freezes up and, you know, they'll spawn. Uh, the eggs will get fertilized. You know, typically you're going to have ice cover and they'll incubate throughout the winter months. And then once the ice recedes, um, you know, they're going to start to hatch out and then start to swim around as little larval fish and, you know, hopefully be getting zooplankton to eat and, and growing and, and surviving that way. And so what we saw uh, last year in 2023 with those young fish, we call them age zero or young a year, um, they were present. Um, however, we didn't see them in big as numbers as we thought we would have. And And where I'm going with this is, they're actually very present in, in a lot of the game fish species stomachs uh, during another portion of our monitoring events. Uh, we saw walleye, bass, pike, um, you know, salmon, lake trout, um, even catfish um, eating these Cisco, both adult ones and, and small ones. And when I say small, you know, typically I'm kind of talking around about three inches in size, you know, um, in that, oh, July um, to August timeframe. And so it's kind of interesting, like I said, when we got to sampling in September, we noticed these age zero or young year Cisco were a little bit smaller than typical. 
And, you know, going back through and thinking about, you know, what kind of conditions did we have? What did we see over the course of the summer? Well, you know, we had one of the latest, basically, um, ice, ice cover periods on record. You know, the ice didn't leave Fort Peck until, you know, about the first part of May, essentially a month later than typically. So what that meant was, you know, those Cisco hatched out a little bit later. They basically got a, a month's later start, you know, and so they weren't growing as fast and just not showing up in the bigger numbers that we would have anticipated in our nets. But they showed up in the stomach contents of, you know, like I said, every game fish species that we had out there, um, which was which is really neat and encouraging. And also um, with them being that small, I mean, we even saw small walleye, like 12 inches, you know, with multiple uh, age zero Cisco and them that, you know, that were like three to four inches in length. Um, so they were, they were going to town on them, which is very encouraging, you know, from a predator prey interaction and, and that whole growth potential that those Cisco can offer walleye and, you know, everybody else out there. Yeah, dude. That's the cool part about mother nature. That's the cool part about like listening to your job. It's like, it's always ever changing, super unpredictable, and, uh, and yeah, that I like the way you put it. It's, it's an encouraging thing because, you know, as we talked before, which I thought was interesting point you made before in our last conversation, how, you know, like, like the, with Cisco being the main forage base there, you know, there is other shoreline forage, but essentially the younger fish probably have the harder time gunning down their prey you know uh, the forage on on fort peck it isn't until they you know like say a walleye becomes 18 or 20 inches before it's big enough that it can go out and and get some of the bigger cisco and then live a little bit easier and that's where then we eventually see the big the big walleyes or you know the big everything that you guys have out there that is an interesting point and then you know to observe it like like you just said that is very encouraging that uh they don't always have to show up in the nets you'll you'll probably see them next year or you'll 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 it'll they'll show up later on down the line Exactly. And so, you know, that'll, that'll be the real confirmation, you know, like you said, Taylor, you know, we, we do these same surveys year in and year out. So, you know, we can compare, you know, this year's data to last year's or even five years ago and be like, oh yeah, that's, that's why we saw what we saw, you know, and, and I just like to add a little bit more information kind of going back to that vertical Cisco netting, you know, or sampling those age zero Cisco and, get back into Chinook again, sorry to bounce around, oh, but I love it. it was really cool. In addition to those, um, uh, Cisco that we were sampling, we also sampled, uh, Chinook salmon, young Chinook salmon that we stocked out, you know, in May or at the end of May, first part of June last year in those same nets where we were capturing Cisco. And as you could probably imagine those young salmon, they were gorging themselves on those age zero Cisco and, and they were growing really well. Um, so just to give you an idea, typically, uh, those Chinook salmon get released from the Fort Peck hatchery, you know, again, end of May, first of June, all around, you know, five inches, four or five inches in size. Well, in September, mid September, those same salmon, they were already anywhere from eight to 10 inches in size. So they, they doubled, you know, just over the course of several months and, that was very encouraging to see, you know, and it was, 
you know, not just like one net, it was multiple locations. So anytime you can get that, you know, consistent, like, okay, here's a salmon at this spot, or here's three salmon here, you know, it's, it's, it eliminates that variability and it gives you more confidence that this is actually happening. You know what I mean? If you have any fishing memory or a fish that you would like to commemorate with a replica or you have questions about getting fish replicas done, reach out to Jamie Rizzavi from Rizzavi Taxidermy Studio in New Rockford, North Dakota. Jamie and his crew do next level work here at the JMO headquarters. We are blessed to have so many replicas made by Jamie. Reach out. You can find them on social media or online at RizzaviTaxidermyStudio.com. The link is in the description of this podcast. This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by the CS1 suit from Cold Snap. This jacket and bib combination is good for all seasons. The jacket featuring the full event lamination, 100% waterproof shell with waterproof YKK zippers, fleece-lined hand-warm pockets on the chest, magnetic closures on the pockets, hideaway D-rings for accessories, especially like your Cold Snap toothpick. Zip out the inner liner featuring Prima Loft 900 gold insulation, HydroFloat technology. Wear this cold snap logoed performance liner as a separate jacket on the ice. Or you can just wear it around town as nice as it is. The bibs matching the jacket system. We're talking the lamination, the waterproof, the zippers, fleece lined, warming pockets on the chest, magnetic closures on all the high use pockets, and the hideaway D-rings for all your accessories again. Zip out the inner liner pants featuring the Primaloft 900 gold insulation, HydroFlow technology, removable knee pads. You can take them out, replace them whenever they're worn, or just take them out when you're wearing it in the summer. Because in the summer, in the boat, you can wear this shell as your highest performance rain gear. Wear the entire system in the ice season or as layers and mix and match the components to fit whatever the weather conditions are. The gloves, cold snap performance gear hoodies, event soft shell jackets, and vests, all of that and more details can be found at coldsnapoutdoors.com. That link is in the description of this podcast or through other pro staff partners. Right away, it might seem like you know those age zero Cisco weren't present right away, and you think, well, maybe this, maybe that spring, maybe that late ice out, maybe something about the year was tough on them. You know, maybe we're not, you know, maybe we're not going to get the recruitment we're after. And it looks like maybe you did, or at least to some extent, it's bigger than you than you're able to figure out right away. Mm-hmm. But the fish surf, certainly figure it out, and they benefit from it. Any anything that can can live on a two to three inch, you know, size Cisco, you know, throughout the summer um, is uh, when there's a bunch of them out there. I mean, that's just going to be good stuff right there. But I want to talk about the current conditions. I want to spend a lot of time on this and how you think, you know, uh, maybe this is, um, you know, going to play out a little bit because, like you said, last year we had a major, you know, a winter, we had lots of plenty of snow. We had, uh, you know, Fort Peck had one of the longest seasons ever recorded for like for ice. Um, and, and there was it. So that spring, the runoff, I mean, it was just, uh, there was water running everywhere. It looks like this year's going to be totally different potentially. What do you think about that? Like the current conditions, what are some of the things that you're looking at or you're thinking about right now? that could be a factor 
you know, like the rest of this winter or this spring with, um, you know, even like the walleye spawn or something like that, just in generally, you know, speaking like a big picture on years where there's not a lot of runoff and looking at the current water levels and just the status of everything right now, what are some of the things that you, you pay attention to, um, when it's like that? So I mean, I'm, I am going to kind of just maybe do a quick recap of last year, you know, cause you mentioned, we, we did see that, you know, we did see some good runoff occur. And, um, you know, basically once, once that ice went off, um, yeah, we did see a spring rise, you know, thankfully of about close to 10 feet from, you know, May 1st to almost July 1st, it was somewhat gradual, but it did flood shoreline vegetation, you know, and, and that was encouraging from the standpoint of, you know, our, our shoreline forage fish community, like our, our yellow perch, our crappie, spot tail shiners, you know, predominantly those three species. And, and, you know, I was a little bit surprised, but encouraged, you know, just cause it was later than normal, you know, particularly yellow perch, you know, they're early spawners like our walleye, but they, they took advantage of it, you know, and we did see a few younger yellow perch out there. So, you know, it was good to see that additional food opportunity for those, those small walleye, pike, bass, etc. Um, you know, and, and so, that was good. Um, you know, and, and, and one thing I will touch on the walleye here too, kind of while we're, you know, talking about some of the small forage and small walleye, we do have a really good number of 10 to 15 inch walleye out there in the system based on last year's, uh, summer netting surveys, you know, so that is extremely encouraging. And then again, given the food opportunities that we saw last year, they all went into this winter and we'll be going in, you know, to, you know, ice, you know, really good, you know, as far as food to eat. Um, Cause that's like we talked about, you know, if they don't have those, those small to medium sized food items, you know, it can be slow growth and sometimes mortality to a certain degree if it's really severe. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people just take that for granted, even though, yeah. you know, there's, there's fish out there. They got to have something to eat, to grow, to make it to that next level or to that next age, you know? Um, I guess kind of looking at, you know, this year, um, you know, potentially, you know, not a lot of runoff, you know, who knows? I mean, anything can change. Right. We've got, yeah, there's going to be change for sure. But it's more interesting, I think, to talk about what, uh, you know, what that could mean, I think, just to kind of, help with an expectation because I think you know correct me if I'm wrong here and I'm sure I'm wrong on uh, on some details but if we do from the time of this conversation to say the spring run if there is a weather event if we do get you know a foot of snow or whatever it is if we do get the opportunity for a good runoff and we get some you know get good water movement we get current we get you know that would be a good thing probably for a lot of things. So I feel like maybe having a conversation, not a doomsday conversation, but just a conversation around what typically happens or what might happen if the current conditions stay the same. If it ends up not being like this, it might only be better. Yeah. And so, you know, I, you're exactly right. You know, probably don't look at it as gloom and doom, the one thing, you know, as far as like lower reservoir elevations or, or not as high with flooding every year, you know, it, we actually do need that. You know, it needs to kind of drop down a little bit um, to get that 
vegetation growing along the shoreline again. So when, you know, conditions turn favorable, we get good snow events, good precip events. You know, now we got that flooded shoreline, you know, for a year down the road or, or two years down the road, you know, so it's not in essence a bad deal, you know, but, you know, when we see, you know, repeated events of, of drought conditions, you know, much, much like actually back in the, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, you know, that was, that was pretty rough, really, on the system overall and, and for the game fish species too, you know, we just basically lost, you know, close to, you know, 40 vertical feet over, you know, like a, a seven year period there. And, you know, there was just no reprieve whatsoever. And, you know, we didn't see the numbers of walleye and pike, um, you know, growth rates were sw- slow just because there wasn't a lot of food, but, you know, really we've been living, you know, pretty gosh darn well, you know, since, you know, 22 or excuse me, 2008 until present, we've had ups and downs, but, uh, you know, those downs have, uh, you know, dried that shoreline out, vegetation popped up, and then, you know, a year or two down the road, thankfully, we went back up, flooded conditions, and again, provided habitat for a lot of different fi- fish species, and then even plankton production, you know, I think that's something that, you know, kind of people overlook, because really, that's the, the building block for the entire fish community out there. One thing that I think about, you know, when... On a standard year, you get good runoff. You know, a lot of these water bodies, these reservoirs, um, you know, it sets up the current. It almost like tells, I guess the way I picture it is it kind of tells the fish where to go and when to go there. And, and uh, you know, they can kind of read and react to all those, like, typical weather conditions. When there isn't a bunch of flow, when there isn't a bunch of runoff, and you look at, like, how that affects the water temperature, water clarity, water uh, quality, like, how would you describe that in terms of the fish patterns? Do the fish still have a big run? Do they still know where to go? Or do they just kind of go to uh, the nearest shoreline and try to find some spawning habitat when there isn't that, like, current or flow to really help them dial in where they got to go? Like, like how would you describe that, how, how that all packages itself together when there isn't a big runoff? Sure, sure. And that's a, that's a great question. And I'll I'll give like two different examples and kind of, kind of almost go two complete opposite directions, you know, and you mentioned walleye and, and so like what we see out here on Fort Peck, um, you know, with regard to inflows and, and especially reservoir elevations included in that conversation, you know, if we see, um, you know, low reservoir elevations um, and low inflows, you know, to the point where, yeah, there's probably not going to be as good, let's say, spawning habitat, Taylor, for walleyes, you know, because they like gravel, rock, substrate typically. And, and and we know that, you know, we have fish spawning down in the big dry arm area and then, you know, western part of the reservoir too, up in the Missouri River and whatnot. But, you know, if we don't see those flows and then the reservoir isn't high enough to access like some of the tributaries and stuff, yeah, those those walleye are going to be limited in where they can go but you know they still might you know fall back a little bit further say let's take the big dry for example there is other you know suitable rock gravel um shoreline in that area even though like i say you know maybe we're down 20 feet from high water mark so they can't go way up into the big big dry creek and and actually spawn because we have documented that and we have seen it 
Um, it's, it's pretty neat to see that um, through the years, over the years. And kind of uh, completely switching gears now, you know, talking about fish doing and, and going, you know, where they do because of this water. We actually saw uh, last year, um, you know, kind of getting back to like cold water habitat, monitoring, looking at our water temperatures. We noticed last year, you know, that even in August, we had some really good cold water habitat out there. And with that being said, you know, people uh, like down downriggers, um, you know, guys looking for lake trout, salmon, you know, they were actually pushing further up west, you know, mid portion of the reservoir, and they were finding fish, um, you know, both lake trout and salmon. And, you know, they weren't even having to go down deep as typical. Typically for us, we'll see like a thermocline set up in August, oh, 70, 80 feet. You know, this past year, it was more like, you know, shallower. It was you know, almost like 60 feet, 55 feet, somewhere in that neighborhood in August. And uh, you even looked at your Cisco on your graph when you were out there too, fishing. Um, they were up higher, shallower in the water column than typical, you know. So it was interesting to see how those fish, you know, took advantage, I guess, salmon, lake trout, uh, Cisco, those cold water fish last year compared to previous years. Describe that to me a little bit. Like, ultimately, what does that mean? Is that, you know, is that a positive, you know, because I think of one thing, you know, when when I think about like those those just super like hot, calm summers um, where it'll deplete like, uh, you know, it'll deplete oxygen levels and that those thermoclines will be deeper and and, uh, uh, you know, that warm water is way deeper, like maybe kind of fill me in on that detail me why that helps or is important and and why uh, the fish like that or why the ecosystem benefits from that yeah and for that that whole discussion you know on thermocline the cold water habitat dissolved oxygen you know i I think we should you know kind of specifically keep it you know geared to those those cisco um lake trout and, and salmon you know it's super beneficial for those those particular species because, you know, that's how they evolved. You know, they had to have some form of cold water with good dissolved oxygen levels. And that's kind of one thing that we briefly touched on with regard to the lake trout last time, you know, there's, there's actually information out there, you know, that, that shows, you know, yeah, you can have, you know, maybe some cold water, but if your dissolved oxygen levels aren't adequate, you know, you're going to limit your growth for those lake trout. You know, so you're not going to see optimal growth rates and, and maybe as a result, you know, not, you know, huge, huge fish out there just because, you know, they can grow, they can survive and they can persist, but they don't have that optimal um, adequate habitat. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the way you say that because that's that's kind of the way I've understood it or just kind of interpreted on my own, but I've never really asked that question directly. And, and I think, that, you know, just that dissolved oxygen i think that's that's easy for people to understand um and it that it's just it's a good thing and when that thermocline is deeper and that can relate to a lot of other bodies of water um but when there's that that pelagic forage like cisco or smelt um you know whitefish like all these all these um 
you know, all these forage fish that drive these big fish fisheries, mm-hmm. um, having an understanding of that, I think is, is, uh, that's just something that anglers are looking, looking for. Or one, one interesting thing that you mentioned there is that, uh, you know, the walleyes will figure out a way, they'll figure out a spot to spawn if it's not, you know, every year is, you know, you know, this is one thing that I've said this year, you know, especially recently, because, you know, a lot of my conversations, a lot of conversations in the wild with anglers, you know, is just talking about how severely different this year is than any other year. I, I think for me, you know, this year kind of has a little bit of wow factor. Like if you watch a lot of YouTube or you pay attention to social media, it's such a big deal. But I feel like every year is different. Like every year is different. So the fact that this year is different isn't like, isn't like this groundbreaking, you know, just mind blowing conception that like, you know, this year is different. Yes, we get it. A lot of old timers haven't, you know, experienced a year like this. So it, it is a fun thing to talk about. But like on a, I don't know, like on a scale from one to 10 or just how, how would you describe how big of a deal it is that this year is this different? You know, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like it's a big or a small deal, but it's, it's all part of the big picture really. And, you know, it, I think you kind of, I mean, you made me think about really, you know, why we see what we see out there, you know, with, with regard to fisheries. And I think, I think we kind of all like need to, to, you know, just maybe take a step back and now like, this is a good year, you know, along with other years then have to realize that, yeah, you know, like we talked about mother nature, you know, that's, that's the ultimate decision maker. And in reality, you can't have, you know, like a big year class of walleye year after year after year, matter of fact, you know, that, that, that just isn't the case, you know, and it doesn't work that way because, you know, all those fish at some point, you know, they're going to have to compete with one another and there's going to be limited food opportunities, you know, so you, you definitely have ups and downs in your population and, and, you know, some age groups stronger than others, you know, it's not like, you know, just stacked with, you know, fish year after year and, and, and the fish are going to figure it out. I mean, they're going to, you know, spawn, you know, might it be as successful as last year or the year before, you know, maybe not but it's okay. There's still going to be fish there. You know, it's not like there's going to be a complete missing year class. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, dude, totally. And one thing, you know, Fort Peck's a big reservoir, you know, I mean, I talk about Sakakawea a lot. Sakakawea is a huge reservoir. Oahe's a huge, these are Missouri River reservoirs, but there's huge bodies of water all over the place. I don't think I've ever asked this question and maybe this is going to go absolutely nowhere but you guys you guys sample you test you know throughout the reservoir it's a big reservoir how often does a year class maybe succeed say in the eastern portion or in a certain quadrant and then you know it's not the same where you'll see different year classes you know uh, uh differently throughout the reservoir where maybe out west there's a year class that's really give, getting after it maybe and then out east and where it's not completely because i can't imagine that any one particular year class just completely evenly spreads itself out throughout the throughout the reservoir or am i wrong on that no no that's that's you're you're pretty accurate there and it's it's interesting because uh, we did an olus microchemistry study and, and basically what it was looking at is you know where where are these walleye spawning and naturally reproducing and essentially being successful, you know, in Fort Peck Reservoir. And and what we found was, you know, that basically, you know, kind of in the lower reservoir 
elevation years and drought periods, um, it was, it was pretty sparse, um, you know, from there was, you know, reproduction recruitment going on in the dry arm area, but not a lot, but really, um, the Western part of the reservoir and like the Missouri river, it was, it was really contributing. You know, there was, there was always flows. Those fish could go up, you know, spawn in that area, um, in some of the tribs. And then also, you know, there is shoreline rock gravel in that upper portion of the reservoir too, you know, so that was always an option, but you know, if we like fast forward the clock a little bit, you know, so I was talking drought period, you know, 2005, six, seven, right around there, go forward to like 20, not 2009, 10, 11, we saw a lot of fish, uh, reproduction, uh, successful recruitment come from that big dry arm area, you know, and so we still saw it from the West end of the reservoir, but you know, now the table's kind of turned a little bit, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it was interesting to see that interaction with the differences in water levels and, uh, you know, inflows into the system. Do you pay attention to like the tournaments and stuff like that, like on pack, like, uh, like do you ever look at that, uh, and see things that are predictable or unpredictable, like, you know, maybe like where the big fish are caught or, or, you know, like, cause it's so common in, 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 the tournaments, uh, you know, walleye tournaments across the country, like anywhere that there's good, you know, like, like, like high end walleye tournaments, you'll see in some cases where all the winning weights, um, or, you know, like, like eight or nine teams in the top 10, you know, were doing something similar in, uh, you know, in a similar area or, or just, you know, in a similar region uh, of a, of a big body of water. And then in other cases, you know, more indicative of a quality fishery where it's crazy how different everything happens, where, you know, everybody in the top 10 was doing something different and, and was scattered throughout, you know, a, a water body. Like, like you ever pay attention to that? Like, do you ever have any interpretation of that? No, no. I mean, I haven't looked that close into it, Taylor, to be honest with you, but um, yeah, no, I, I haven't. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's kind of addicting. It's like a hobby of mine. Like, uh, I, 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 I'm a terrible tournament fisherman. Uh, I've only fished like one in my life, but, uh, but uh, I just get, I'm fascinated with tournament. I talk to tournament anglers all the time. But that's one thing when you look at like the biology of it, um, you know, or when you're looking at it through that lens, it's definitely entertaining. Uh, and I highly recommend uh, if you have time for a whole nother like hobby. Um, <laughs> go down to those tournament weigh-ins and pay attention to where people are fishing and the conversations around that because that stuff's really interesting too um you know and and that's where everybody's a citizen biologist too that'll probably you know they'll try to teach you a million things about uh about fort peck but definitely some big fish being caught in that tournament some of those tournament stories are pretty interesting um but anyways um that's a good thing because fort peck's fishing good right now like some of the weights are just like beyond belief in comparison to the rest of the country. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I think that that's good. I think that's a, that's really good information and perspective. Cause it, it, you know, on a big body of water, you know, a big, it could be a reservoir. It could be, you know, some of these capital walleye destinations where I think we definitely get hung up on, you know, um, you know, the benchmark, 
uh, uh, spawning runs and and the good year classes, you know, that are that we see that are predictable, kind of where they're supposed to happen, when they're supposed to happen. But the reality is, it's really diverse, and um, you know, you give a little to take a little, uh, you know, and sometimes uh, things, sometimes the fish out west will uh, kind of do good and give you a little bit of a bump when things out east, um, you know, or take a few years off, and then and then vice versa that flips and. Um, and, uh, you know, it just kind of makes, it kind of helps us interpret maybe how some of the fishing goes. And, uh, yeah, I just think those are all good things, man. Any, anything else that pops in your head? Like, what are we not talking about? We still have some time to cover something if we want to. I just love getting this status update and, and maybe, a, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of forecasting for what could potentially, uh, be as far as this spring goes. Um, you know, anything along these lines that we're forgetting any, any more, you know, fun numbers or any love that we got to get, give to any, any species or anything that's happening on Fort Peck? Um, Kind of one thing that I, I think, you know, probably should mention, and it goes back to like walleye, you know, spawning, recruitment, you know, successful recruitment and sizes and age class of fish, you know, that are out there in the system. You know, one thing that, that I think should be mentioned is, and, and maybe you know this, um, but, you know, we do stock walleye fingerling on an annual basis, you know, and, and maybe try and account for any shortcomings because of the, you know, reservoir elevation, you know, that, and its influence on spawning habitat, you know, that we might see. So, you know, just kind of putting that into perspective, it's again, going back to, you know, what we see in our netting surveys, it's like, man, there's, you know, there's, there's definitely no shortage of, of uh, small fish out there. And then really, you know, it's not like there's any complete missing year classes. You know, I, I know I do get that question sometimes, but no, it, there, there's, there's a lot of different year classes you know, um, multiple year classes, um, that are out there. I mean, we, uh, you know, we're, we're finishing up our age and growth stuff, you know, this winter looking at our walleye list and, you know, we saw fish all the way from, you know, one year old up to 20 years old Taylor. Yeah. Um, so just having that broad distribution of ages present, you know, and then not only that, but the sizes too, you know, it's, it's really good and really encouraging to see that in your fishery. You know, you wouldn't want to be, you know, just kind of <laughs> hanging on by, you know, two or three year classes out there in the system. And, you know, maybe they're just big fish or whatever. You need to have, you know, something kind of in the back, back there that's going to fill up the ranks, you know, as time goes on, um, given favorable food opportunities, you know, with forage, you know, Cisco perch, that sort of thing. Yeah, dude. I love it. That's a great, that's just a great cap to this conversation. And yeah, just from the sounds of it, things are going good on Peck and they ought to be going good at least uh, for the foreseeable future. So with or without um, a phenomenal spring run this year, um, you know, definitely uh, sounds like there's some awesome stuff going on on Peck, dude. So I appreciate it. I appreciate this whole conversation. You know, it's a, you know, you know, when we started this, we didn't know, we knew, we knew a couple topics we were going to cover, but didn't know exactly where it was going to go. And I think that, uh, definitely I love the education. I love the perspective, painting those pictures, uh, you know, as far as what's going on out there is all just really, really good stuff, man. So, um, yeah, I think for the time, maybe if we got anything else on our mind, we'll just save it for next time, Heath. And, um, if, uh, you want to sign it off, if anybody, if you're willing to field questions or anything like that, um, Maybe, you know, give out an email or a phone number where people could find you or reach out. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, email address is 
H-H-E-A-D-L-E-Y at MT.gov. So it's hhedley at MT.gov. And then phone number is 406-526-3471, extension 206. That's it, man. And so when people call and they want to know where all the 30-inch walleyes are, what are you, what are you going to tell them? <laughs> well, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to tell them that, that they're out there and they have that opportunity. And, and just kind of one, one last little thing. I mean, I, I just keep thinking of, you know, things to oh, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe add here and there. It's, and, you know, a couple, couple things, you know, talking about big fish. It's, it's pretty cool to, to see, you know, our data that we collect and see, you know, um, those bigger fish, you know, essentially keep working their way through the system. You know, we've been tracking, you know, I, I think I mentioned it last spring when I talked to you, when we did this podcast, you know, that 2011 year class Taylor, they're, they're still out there, you know, um, it's pretty awesome to think of a 12 year old walleye still swimming around and, you know, doing its thing. And, and even there's, believe it or not, another, uh, group of fish out there a little bit older not a lot but they're they're still there and they're just you know we're tracking them through the population through these otoliths and looking at it and it's like wow that's 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 truly remarkable and it you know it goes to say that you know that that mortality is is pretty low they got good habitat they got good food conditions you know all those things to grow that big fish you know what i'm saying yep um and then just you know the last thing too you you kind of touched on it with mother nature and whatnot and getting back to our stocking it's like you know stocking efforts can help but you know got to realize that some years you know even if we stock a bunch that automatically and unfortunately doesn't mean like oh there's going to be a bunch next year to catch or two years down the road you know they still have to have that adequate food adequate habitat you know to to grow and survive yeah yeah man yeah, D- despite anybody and everybody's expertise uh, or best efforts, it's, it is definitely still a Mother Nature conversation. That's kind of why I wanted to, you know, have you speculate a little bit on, on the conditions and stuff for sure. But at the end of the day, you know, if, if everything goes good, everything that you guys are working towards, everything that, that you guys there at the FWP and you and all your comrades there at the hatchery and everything, if everything goes at all good, I mean, you guys are doing nothing but helping the fishing opportunities and creating huge fishing opportunities where they they either weren't as good or didn't exist before. So I'm always I'm always down to have you guys on. I'm always down to have you on talking about this stuff uh, and shining a little light on that and giving you a little bit of props too because. You know, I think I kind of mentioned it earlier. It's easy for you guys to have some haters. It's easy for somebody to go out and have.